0: Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Where? Screw your psychic corgi. It's over. Put him in its crate. Bay Area, nay area. Light Years, not so quite years. Dub Nation, Flub Nation. Steve Kerr, Steve. Err? It's all about the Showtime Lakers and the Lake Show putting an abrupt halt to the mini-resurgence of the curry dre clay Kerr dynasty. And surprise, surprise, it was done by a familiar foe. LeBron frickin' James. Lakers win 4-2 versus the Golden State Warriors and are now headed to the Western Conference Finals versus the Denver Nuggets, just like the 2020 championship season. Fam, it is is lit. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Riley, who will be joining us in the second half of this podcast, where we will be priming the Denver Nuggets matchup. But for the first part of this episode, I'm going to be talking about my experience in person at the Lakers' closeout game last night at Crypto.com Arena versus the Golden State Warriors. Shout out to my best friend Andy, who has been on this podcast several times for the tickets. What an incredible once-in-a-lifetime sort of experience. As you all know, the Lakers won last night 122-101. to This is the first time in the Steve Kerr era that the Warriors have lost a West playoff series. They were 19-0 in previous conference playoff series. This also snaps an NBA record streak of 28 straight playoff series with a road win for the Warriors. They did not have a single road win in this playoffs. Oh, man. I barely got any sleep last night, as is probably the case for most of you, so I apologize if my voice sounds pretty croaky. But this is the result and the culmination of uh, the madness that was a Lakers' close out game in Los Angeles as they head to the Western Conference now. And yeah, man, I you know the the atmosphere at crypto.com arena was just indescribable last night. You could tell people were, were sort of on edge, but the entire Staples crowd, crypto.com crowd, they came early to the game, they came right on time, seven pm, tip off time, and for the first five minutes, I kid you not everybody was standing in their seats. Usually you stand maybe until your team scores the first bucket, but no, everybody just kept standing. They were that amped, and for good reason. Like, we came out for a battle ready to fight for our team. And yeah, I mean, L.A. showed out last night, and it, it was amazing to be a part of all of that. It You really felt the culmination of this long-ass season that started with such little expectations and now we're brought back to this place that we always should have been at you know this is what los angeles is all about and yeah it was just electric from start to finish um the crowd was very engaged obviously they were very very loud and everybody stayed till the end it was a blowout for much of the fourth quarter we were up by like 24 points with six minutes left, and everybody at Crypto.com was still standing, waiting for the final buzzer to end, just so that we could cheer on this team. This Lakers team that has fought through so much and been so relentless, led by their two stars who are banged up and injured, but so clearly want it. Man, it's just awesome. Very proud of this Lakers team and the entire organization, and the entire city of Los Angeles, and all of the Lakers nation all across the globe. We all frickin' did it. We all fucking did it. Um, Okay, I'm gonna kind of be all over the place, so just bear with me. Let's start with my play of the game. I think the obvious play of the game for everyone as a whole would probably be Anthony Davis' block against Dante DiVincenzo to close the first half. It gets into Austin Reeves' hand as he's fumbling it to try and stay inbounds. He gains control of the ball. Austin Reeves jumps off of one foot, heaves it beyond the half-court line, and swish, he is still him. Austin Reeves plays to the crowd, slaps a dude's face, and the Lakers end the first half with a little bit of momentum when it had sort of gotten a little bit stale. So that was a huge play that really shifted things back to the Lakers end, and I think really demoralize the Golden State Warriors. In terms of a more personal, less predictable play of the game for me, I think I'd have to go with LeBron James racing down the court at like 120 miles per hour, and then out of the corner of his eye, he sees Rui racing down on the wing. And LeBron James at this point is surrounded by like three or four other Golden State Warriors. And as he's zooming down the court... He finds Rui, whips him an absolute bullet of a pass to his right, and then Rui just slams it down with two hands. And to me, that was sort of indicative of Showtime Lakers basketball. And I think indicative of how LeBron looked in total for last night's game, where he looked as spry, fast, strong, as and as in control as he has been this entire playoffs. And I think that play was sort of a release of LeBron James playing freely and the way that he likes to play. I mean, that was tremendous point guard play making Magic Johnson vision by LeBron James. And at his heights and at his primes, that's who we know LeBron James to be. Dishing the ball to other people and making electric plays and... Yeah, that play sort of encapsulated everything and was sort of like the cherry on top of the Sunday to a pretty dominant win for the Lakers. In terms of my general thoughts for this game, first off, I want to give props to Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Even though Steph didn't play his best game last night and he shot pretty horrendously, I felt like as a whole, the Warriors and Steve Kerr really brought the best out of us tactically. The different wrinkles and pivots that they made with lineups were very intriguing and fun. The gamesmanship uh, with regards to the coaches calling out the refs and the little tit-for-tats on people's Instagrams and Snapchats and comments from post-games. The gamesmanship was all there throughout the entire series, and I think we got everything you'd want in a competitive series. And though the Lakers won 4-2 and had two blowout games versus the Warriors, I think this series was closer than it actually seemed because essentially the Lakers were one Steph Curry step back three over Anthony Davis away from this being a seven-game series where we'd have to play at Chase Center to come away with the win. So props to the Golden State Warriors. This was a great test for us before we head off and face Mike Malone and Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets because... Yeah, again, I think it pushed us to the brink of not only our physical capacity, but also our our mental locked-in capacity as well. But having said all of that, by last night, it was clear, and it became very clear, that the Lakers were simply the better team. Klay Thompson is unfortunately not the same, but it is still a miracle that he's able to play basketball given all of the injuries he had compiled over the last few years, but he's clearly not the same. The supporting cast for the Golden State Warriors is not the same. Steph Curry is still a one-man wrecking ball, and he still instills that fear into fans across the league, but the Lakers just had more size. They were the stronger team, they imposed their will on the Warriors and they kind of beat the Warriors at playing small. The Lakers sized down to match up better with the Warriors, but they were still too big, and on top of that, too skilled for them. And you know, you give credit to the Warriors for sort of the mystique that they've built up, and they've earned that mystique. I, I don't I guess I don't want to downplay it as mystique, but I think the crypto.com arena crowd, the the Staples crowd last night, we were. At the edge of our seats, even up until the three minute mark of the fourth quarter, and I realize I think that all comes from the Curry, Clay, Dre, Warriors mystique of their championship dynasty years. But if you really look at what's happened this season and what the Lakers have showed since the trade deadline, what they've showed this playoffs, what they've showed even in just this series, it's very clear. The Lakers are the better team, hands down. So how did the Lakers win this game? Well, first of all, LeBron James was in complete control. This was clearly his best game of the series, and I'll get to LeBron James more in a second. But LeBron James was in complete control from start to finish, offensively and defensively. The Lakers went as LeBron James went. Anthony Davis was once again the master of our defense. 20 rebounds, him snatching balls out of the air amongst the crowd. Last night, Anthony Davis was content to simply be the defensive stopper. And that was huge for the Lakers. It was sort of reminiscent of the Memphis closeout game, where we also had a blowout. And just like that game, where Anthony Davis probably had the best 16-point performance he's ever had because of everything that he did on the defensive end, same can be said for last night, where you could say, Wow, that was the best 17-point performance I've ever seen from Anthony Davis because none of it had anything to do with the offensive end. Very little plays were called for him. You barely saw any Anthony Davis post-ups where he faces up and does his little jab step. He was solely content to clean up after his guards and use all of his energy on the defensive end, and boy, did we need it. The other way the Lakers won this game was by going to their skill guards and letting them do work. To start the game, they posted up D'Angelo Russell. And by the 8-minute mark, D'Angelo had gotten two fouls on Gary Payton II, and Gary Payton II left the game and was never really a factor from that point on. So very smart move to get D'Angelo Russell going. He got going from the free throw line, he had a couple of mid-range jump shots over Steph Curry, As I mentioned in previous podcasts, as I mentioned in my tweets at Lakers Legacy Pod, in order to open up the offense, the Lakers have to get their skill guards going from the start, namely D'Angelo Russell and then Austin Reeves, because once that happens, then the Lakers offense is more potent and the Golden State Warriors have to expend their energy trying to chase around our guards. And so very smart to get D'Lo going early, and then from there, Austin Reeves took it, and then Dennis Schroeder came in and did his damage. And then by the third quarter, when when Dennis Schroeder was uh, ejected, Lonnie Walker took over. All of our skill guards last night did damage offensively and defensively. The Lakers had a very set game plan. LeBron James is the captain of everything, AD is the captain on the defensive end. And then the skilled guards around them, Lonnie Walker, Dennis Schroeder, D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, go to work, try and make life difficult on Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Moses Moody, Gary Payton II. We took it to their guards, and that was a smart move. And then on the defensive end, I want to give credit to, outside of, you know, the obvious, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I want to give credit to all of our smaller guards, D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, Dennis Schroeder for hauling ass on the defensive end and chasing Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins with such intensity. I think they chased with more intention, purpose, and physicality than they ever have in this entire series. And I know the Golden State Warriors missed a ton of wide open shots as well, but in this game, you could tell even our guards were selling out to communicate with each other, trying to fight through all of these screens. They were as locked in as I've ever seen them, and the Lakers were playing defense on a string, and it was beautiful to watch. Yes, they conceded a bunch of offensive rebounds, but that's sort of going to happen whenever you're playing three guards. And the most important part is, the reason why the Warriors were getting so many offensive rebounds was because our guards were harassing them to no end, and they kept missing shots. And at the end of the day... AD was cleaning up at the very end anyways. So, I mean, tremendous job to the whole team in general, defensively. And then, in total, I just feel like everyone last night played their role and part to perfection. This game was sort of an encapsulation of what the Lakers have done this entire playoff series. Anthony Davis leading on the defensive end, LeBron James being that steady commander and orchestrator as a whole, and then all of the other guys filling in where they needed to fill in, appropriately. And then lastly, shout out to Rui Hachimura for two tremendous blocks that I felt like were super dynamic and really helped build the defensive momentum for this team. One thing I'd like to add about this Golden State Warriors series, if you're looking at these six games, the Lakers had six players who averaged double figures in this series. LeBron James at 24.7, Anthony Davis at 21.5, D'Angelo Russell at 14.7, Austin Reeves at 14.3, Dennis Schroeder averaging 10.3, and then Lonnie Walker, 10.6 points. Six players who averaged double figures in this Golden State Warriors series. Just another example and testament to the Lakers' depth and how their skill guards stepped up and contributed on the offensive end when they needed it. So, yeah, I think that's an encapsulation of this Lakers team, right? LeBron James and Anthony Davis are still the top dogs but they don't have to do as much as they had to before offensively because look at all of the guys who are scoring in double figures and you have two guys in D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves averaging 15 points apiece, you know? So, yeah. Again, Lakers' depth and balance. Let's think about this as we head into this upcoming offseason, right? Okay, so I don't want to keep rambling any much longer because I want to get to me and Alan's conversation on the Denver Nuggets, but... Before I close out this first half of this episode, I really quickly just want to give some shine to LeBron James because as I've been mentioning this entire time, he had complete control of last night's game. This was his, I, I personally think that this was his best game as a whole of this entire playoffs. Believe it or not, this was actually LeBron James' first 30-point game of the playoffs through 12 games. And the Lakers are 8-4 and four through those 12 games. Kind of a testament to the team and the depth we've built that this is LeBron James' first 30-point game of the playoffs, but also credit to LeBron James for also knowing when to defer and knowing when to turn it up. It's clear that he saved some gas in the tank for tonight's closeout game. LeBron was locked in from the get-go, and you could tell. Last night was also LeBron James' highest shooting performance of this playoffs. He shot 10 of 14 from the field, 71%. His last highest was his 9 for 13 performance versus Memphis in the closeout blowout of that series. So something about LeBron James and closeouts, right? Last night was also LeBron James' highest assist game of the playoffs with 9 assists. I think in the last few games, we've really seen point LeBron come back into the fold here with the Golden State Warriors going smaller and you know, trying to make life difficult for our skill guards. LeBron James has taken more of the load in terms of ball handling. And he's cleaned his act up. And it seems like LeBron James has rounded into form, which is very encouraging. On top of it, this has been LeBron James' best series in terms of three-point shooting. Um, He has hit his most three-pointers this playoffs in this series. And it's just... Yeah, a sight for sore eyes to see LeBron James hitting his three-point shot. The three-point shot last night that he hit where he got smacked on the head and laid on the floor on the other end for, you know, a good 10 seconds of the Lakers' possession and then ran back down the court uh, completely wide open, trailing. Dennis Schroeder hits him, and then he hits that, you know, three-point shot at the top of the key. That was hilarious, and... um Good on LeBron for the soccer play right there. Uh, But anyways, LeBron James' regression back to the positive mean with regards to three-point shooting is a welcome, welcome surprise. So yeah, you look at this series in total and LeBron James' closeout game last night. Last night, LeBron James had his highest point output. He had his highest field goal percentage, his highest assist game. LeBron James saved the best for last for Golden State. And for good reason. Because he was going up against Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Steve Kerr, a worthy foe, a foe he knows well, a foe he has lost to many a time. And what a poetic way for LeBron James to, I don't want to say end the Warriors dynasty, but at least quell their little mini resurgence from last season. And yeah, I mean, tremendous performance by LeBron James, and we are going to need this sort of LeBron James a couple more times Uh, versus the Denver Nuggets. Lastly, I want to talk about Darvin Ham. As you all know, I have given Ham a lot of flack this season, and for good reason during certain moments. But for this series, Darvin Ham has put on a masterclass, a masterclass in coaching and adjustments. This has been his best series, coaching-wise. Tonight, he started Dennis Schroeder and benched Vanderbilt to size down with the Golden State Warriors. His game plan of posting D'Lo up and having him attack GP2 head-on was very smart and shrewd. He had on defense, he had AD playing up less and having the guards more aggressively chase and body up Golden State shooters and blitz them off the three-point line and that was huge his handling of Lonnie Walker this entire playoffs has been commendable even when fans had given up on Lonnie Walker him sticking with certain guys and knowing that they would come back around that's sort of the coaching intuition that you you don't give coaches the benefit of the doubt enough because you're not in the locker rooms and you don't see what he sees and you have to give credit for you have to give credit to Darvin Ham for sticking with certain guys and not letting them lose their confidence. Obviously, credit to the players themselves for not losing confidence in themselves, but credit to Darvin Ham for keeping all of these guys locked in and engaged, whether or not they have a consistent role on this team. And actually, with regards to Lonnie Walker, maybe we even credit Ham for trying to reward him earlier on, towards the tail end of this season, in that Chicago Bulls game, where he DNP'd Rui and gave Lonnie Walker consistent rotation minutes. That was a move that everybody panned. And I think even in retrospect, you can say there's no reason why Darvin Ham had to DNP Rui. But even in that moment, you can now take a look back and see, yeah, you can kind of see Darvin Ham's vision. You know, he was right to try and keep Lonnie Walker in the fold in any, any way he could. And it's paid dividends for us, this playoff series. Um, I think in total, this series, Darvin Ham has become far less cute with his lineup decisions, his rotation decisions. He has shortened his rotation tremendously. He's been a lot more cutthroat with the minutes. And I think in total, he's just kept it simple and intuitive. And it's been so refreshing to see. With every new move and counter that Steve Kerr has presented, it seems like even though it may have taken the next game to do so, Ham has always had the perfect counter. The perfect little tweak. And as I mentioned, the Golden State Warriors and Kerr brought the best out of us. And they brought the best out of Ham. But it also allowed us to see, hey, Ham's got something in his bag. Ham's got something in those pockets of his. you know, And he pulled them out for this series. Um, So I have to give Darvin Ham his flowers and his credit. This has been an expedited growth process for Ham in real time that we've been able to see and experience. And it's been fun. And um, yeah, so I give Ham and the coaching staff all of their flowers. Okay, I'm going to stop rambling because I feel like I am boring you all. So after the turn, Alan and I pre-recorded a brief segment where we sort of prime you guys to our initial thoughts on what a matchup with the Denver Nuggets would look like. We also talk a little bit about the Phoenix Suns and whether or not we were scared of facing them in the event that they had pushed this to seven a seven-game series. Also because the Phoenix Suns, prior to this playoff run starting, I think a lot of people had anticipated that if the Lakers managed to get to the Western Conference Finals, the Phoenix Suns would have been their primary opponent with the epic LeBron James versus Kevin Durant marquee matchup. And that didn't end up being the case. So we're going to hit on the Suns a little bit and then obviously preview the Denver Nuggets. Um As it has been the case with me and the Lakers every time they've moved further along in this series, my main question is, are the Lakers going to have enough gas? The Lakers will now get three days off, which should be huge, but I do think this is going to be the Lakers' toughest test yet, but if there's one thing I know, as long as there's life in them and they're still kicking, always go with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Because when both of those players have played, even in their debilitated less than 100% states, they have delivered every single time. This was the trajectory that we were on even in 2001, when we were up 2-1 to versus the Phoenix Suns before AD suffered his groin injury. We were the 7th seed that year as well. And if that AD injury hadn't happened, who knows how far we would have gotten. So yes, that proverbial motto still sticks. As long as LeBron James and Anthony Davis are relatively healthy, give them the benefit of the doubt. But look, on the other side of this, we've got Nikola Jokic, multiple MVP award-winning Nikola Jokic, a more seasoned Denver Nuggets team, a, a deeper Denver team than the Lakers have seen in the past. So it's going to be a huge test. Maybe the Lakers should have kept Davon Reed on just to get some Denver Nuggets intel from him. I know Malik Beasley used to play for the Denver Nuggets a couple years ago and played for them during the bubble. Um, But yeah, you just know that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to be doing everything they can to scout this Denver Nuggets team to oblivion. I would not be surprised if LeBron James is side texting Thomas Bryant or DeAndre Jordan to get some much-needed intel and info from their ends on how to beat this potent Denver Nuggets team. But yes, I'll save more of my thoughts for the second part of our episode where I will bring Alan on and we shall preview the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals against the Denver Nuggets. Fuck, it is lit, folks. Let's take it to break. And when we return, me and Alan on the
1: Denver Nuggets
0: Woo boy, Alan, can you believe we're in the Western Conference Finals and that we went through Steph Curry and the defending champion Warriors to do it? What a road and journey it's been. And for LeBron to close things out against Curry in such a poetic way and close the loop on his last disappointing playoff series against Curry when he lost in 27-18, I think they got swept that year. But it's funny because that... Cavs sweeping that the uh, Warriors put on LeBron James' calves, that's what inevitably got him to go to the Lakers. So to now beat Steph Curry as a Laker, I mean, that is the Hollywood script right there, Alan. And hopefully the Hollywood script that's been fully paid for and with fully compensated writers who are no longer on strike getting fair wages. But yeah, how do you feel having beat Steph Curry and having things poetically come to a loop where LeBron James beats Curry again, but as a Laker?
2: Um, I feel like, like you said, you know, if someone told you this however many years ago, shit, if someone told you this like six or seven months ago, you'd be like, you're crazy. Um, and if someone said this when LeBron was on the Cavs, you would say that just absolutely doesn't make any sense at all. So it, it's pretty surreal to kind of be in this position. Who would have thought that they would face off in the second round of the Western Conference, you know, playoffs and uh, that things would go down like this? And, it's it's not even like a passing of the torch, right? Because I mean, we're a relatively old team as well. Just two heavyweights duking it out. And uh yeah, we're we're pretty freaking blessed to be able to watch that.
0: No, seriously. And Curry and LeBron, they are Hall of Famers and what, you know, top five, top ten players in the NBA historically, arguably. And Steph Curry just, you know, ushered in this new era of modern NBA basketball and yeah. You know, credit to the Warriors, credit to Curry. What a joy for all of us as fans to have witnessed that. But now we move on to the Western Conference Finals, where the Lakers will face a familiar foe from their 2019 2020 championship season the Denver Nuggets and multiple MVP winning Nikola Jokic. Now, unfortunately, the Suns went out as they usually do in these scenarios. They went out very sadly. Although I do want to caveat that the Suns were playing without DeAndre Ayton in the last game. Chris Paul's obviously been out for much of this series with a groin injury. So this series may have gone seven if if the Suns had their full complement of players because they were already heavily gutted in terms of depth. And, you know, it would have been funny and very equally as epic to have overcome Steph Curry, Clay, and Dre, and then in the next round had to face Kevin Durant, right? The matchup between LeBron and Kevin Durant would have been another marquee matchup. You set that against the backdrop of Suns versus Lakers. We've had our bouts and battles in the past as well. You've got LeBron versus CP3, banana boat buddies. You've got, to a lesser extent, Devin Booker and D'Angelo Russell, former fuckboy buddies. I don't know if they're friends anymore, but...
2: I don't think d has any friends anymore in the league, to be honest. <laughs> That's true, just the Lakers. He used one of his favorite phrases, to be honest. You know uh, to be honest, man. <laughs> honestly, to be honest.
0: I'm not a point guard, you can't call me that, okay?
2: Oh God. I'm just a guard,
0: I'm just a guard. <laughs> Coco Five. <laughs> Actually, maybe it's a good thing that we're not going to be facing the Suns so we don't have to put up with any fuckboy back and forth between D'Angelo Russell and Devin Booker. Um, I promise we're going to get to the Denver Nuggets soon, but to stay on the Suns for a little bit, I did want to play a little what-if with you because I know earlier on in the series, I had asked you this question, whether you preferred the Suns or the Nuggets. And I know the last closeout game where the Suns got absolutely demolished by the Nuggets is probably going to paint a certain picture about the Suns. And I'm going to ask you to put that in the rearview mirror and assume that the Suns had forced this to a game seven. Deandre Ayton had returned for that game seven and they had somehow pulled this out. Is there a part of you that is glad that we're facing the Denver Nuggets instead? So on paper, presumably Chris Paul would have come back in the Western conference finals to face the Lakers. If they had gotten out of the second round against the Nuggets Stacking the teams up on paper and understanding that Chris Paul would have been a little bit banged up, but let's just say it's Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, KD, Devin Booker. Hypothetically, who would you have preferred still? Would you have preferred the Nuggets or the Suns? Let's say we were able to Doctor Strange this a little bit. The Suns had come out in Game 7. And all things are a little bit more equal with the Suns having Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. And we're about to face them. And you can choose between the suns and nuggets, gun to your head. Who would you have preferred? Who do you prefer?
2: <sighs> I'd be shot by now if there were a gun to my head. But I, I think star power scares me. I mean Book and Katie are just on fire. And to think, like, you know, who's gonna stop them? But that means shit. We just finished blank Stephen Clay, <laughs> right? So kind of saw how that turned out. Damn, gun to my head. Who do I feel more confident in playing against? I think I would... uh, I think I'd rather play Denver. I just feel like their team does have more, like, gelling collective experience. But I I just feel like in terms of getting to the finals, like Phoenix got there against Milwaukee, there's a little bit more of that level of experience. Mm. I think that that does make a difference. And then, obviously, KD has won championships before. Sure. um whereas with denver i mean we knocked them out right in the western conference finals in the bubble um i don't remember the last time denver it's <laughs> the nba finals it's been forever we used to knock them out when it was ai and carmelo anthony back in the kobe pow days jamal murray yeah sure he gets super hot i mean Jokic had 50 something points but they still lost to phoenix yeah dude that's what i'm going with <laughs> okay see denver
0: yeah, no, uh, that's actually pretty fair. I forgot that in 2021, the Suns, when they went to the finals, still have the same nucleus in terms of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Monty Williams. And then Kevin Durant on his own, you're right, has multiple finals experiences. So their collective finals experience is something that you want to be wary of, for sure. I guess my counter to that is this season... In the last couple of seasons, actually, you've seen just how dysfunctional the Suns have been internally with regards to squabbles between DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams, DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul, essentially anything surrounding DeAndre Ayton. So I think given that, I'm not sure how much they're Finals experience individually would have held up given some of the chemistry issues that they had been dealing with. And then on top of it, just them having been put together with tape in the last couple months post-trade deadline and the fact that Kevin Durant missed a couple of weeks as well and didn't get enough time with them to gel, I I think that's probably a knock on the Suns. But that's good that you like this current matchup with the Denver Nuggets. I think for me, given everything that I just kind of said and hinted at, I think I would have actually preferred to face the Suns. Right. And I think it's because just looking at the matchups, and we'll get into the matchups in a second, but I just feel like the Nuggets pose a bigger threat to us just in terms of the physicality they can put on us. And at this point, we're so worn down already. Like if you just get KD or Booker into foul trouble, Allen, they don't have anybody after them to fill in that spot, you know? Whereas the Nuggets, KCP, Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, Michael Porter Jr., Christian Brown, you know, their rookie, they've got a lot of these, like, long, versatile wing and combo guard players who all have size. And for the Lakers, I know they run a heliocentric offense there around Jokic, but in comparison to the Suns, who are more of a Devin Booker, Kevin Durant ISO team, where you just, they're just going to shoot jump shots, right? The Nuggets can hit you with, they can hit you with the shooting or the cutting, you know, and Jokic can be slinging that pass around and surgically cutting up the same way that Curry cut us up, except he may not even need to move from his position, you know? So I feel like the Nuggets would present us more with a difficult chess match that we'd have to sort of Rubik's Cube from game to game, where the Suns, I think it's simpler just because it's really kd and booker you know and then with cp3 you can hunt him because he has a groin injury right he's cp3 is not the same cp3 and then deandre ayton just sucks so that's kind of why i would have preferred playing the phoenix suns but okay alan quickly let's talk about the denver nuggets this is a western conference 2020 bubble rematch you got ad versus Jokic. you got kcp revenge game on the los angeles lakers and to a lesser extent you've got deandre jordan and thomas bryant revenge um <laughs> yes. And then maybe you've got D'Lo and Reeves versus Jamal Murray. We'll see which skill guards, you know, rise to the top. Uh, regular season-wise, these two teams were split 2-2, two and two, but all four games happened pre-trade deadline. Now, if we're looking at the playoff stats between both of these teams, the Denver Nuggets rank number one in net rating. The Lakers are third in overall net rating. The Denver Nuggets are number one in offensive rating. The Lakers are ninth, so they are an offensively potent team. The Nuggets are 5th in defensive rating. The Lakers are, of course, number 1 in defensive rating. In terms of pace, the Nuggets are 11th, while the Lakers are 6th. So this is an area that the Lakers can sort of exploit because they are a faster-paced team than the Denver Nuggets who like to play more in the half court, although not by that much more. Scoring-wise, the Nuggets are number 2. The Lakers are 8th in this year's playoffs. The Nuggets are also 2nd in field goal percentage, while the Lakers are 5th. In terms of rebounding, the Denver Nuggets are 7th, while the Lakers are 3rd. 3-point percentage wise, the Nuggets are 2nd in 3-point percentage, while the Lakers are 11th. But when it comes to volumes of 3s made, the gap isn't as big. The Nuggets are 10th in 3-pointers made, while the Lakers are 13th. 11.3 to 10.4. In terms of assists, the Nuggets are 4th, while the Lakers are 6th in this year's playoffs. In terms of free throw attempts, the Nuggets are 10th, while the Lakers are 5th in free throw attempts. So this is again another area that the Lakers should push hard on and try to get to the foul line as much as possible. Some additional advanced playoff stats of note include, When it comes to transition points, the Nuggets are 7th, averaging 20.9 transition points while the lakers are 8th right behind them at 20.8 points so they're kind of neck and neck in terms of how they like to score in transition in terms of transition frequency though the nuggets are 10th while the lakers are 5th so the lakers actually get out into transition more often than the nuggets do they just score a point they just score 0.1 less than the nuggets in transition in terms of second chance points the nuggets are 10th while the lakers are 7th Now here's the interesting stat with the Denver Nuggets. In terms of taking care of the ball, the Denver Nuggets are number one in this year's playoffs in taking care of the ball, while the Lakers are eighth. The Nuggets only turn the ball over 11.5 times, while the Lakers turn the ball over 12.8 times. So the Nuggets take care of the ball and they are very judicious with their passing and are, are pretty in control when it comes to handling the ball. In terms of points off turnovers, the Denver Nuggets are ninth. They score 15.3 points off turnovers, while the Lakers are 4th, scoring 16.2. So the Denver Nuggets don't force as many turnovers or don't play with as much pace to get buckets immediately after those turnovers as the Lakers do. So that's another area that the Lakers have the advantage on. As I mentioned with the uh, taking care of the ball aspect of things, turnover percentage-wise, Denver is number one in not turning the ball over, only turning the ball over 12% of the time. The Los Angeles Lakers are six at 13%. When it comes to opponents' points off turnovers, the Denver Nuggets only surrender 12.7 points to their opponents off their turnovers, while the Lakers are ninth, surrendering 15.3 points to their opponents off turnovers. So that's sort of the lay of the land with regards to playoff statistics. Um, so yeah, the Denver Nuggets. So the reason why they scare me, Alan, is because they've got the size and they've got the smarts, the passing, the shooting. It's almost like the Denver Nuggets are like if you fuse the Memphis Grizzlies and the Warriors series together, Alan, you kind of get the Nuggets because they've got some of that beautiful basketball and three-point shooting stuff going on. They've got that beautiful motion offense going on where guys are cutting left and right and Jokic just being that main pillar that everything revolves around. But then they've also got that size and physicality to them, at least on the offensive end, where Jokic can really muck it up in the paint and really, you know, give you some headaches on what he's doing down there in the paint. And then also, you know, Aaron Gordon likes to drive. He's a physical athletic guy. Michael Porter Jr. is more of a jump shooter, but he can also, he's also got size and length as well. Um, And then KCP is that new dynamic that we obviously have never seen from them, who's probably going to make life difficult for our skill guards like D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. Um, so I actually feel like this may be the Lakers toughest defensive matchup yet in terms of trying to figure out Jokic and then his partner, Jamal Murray, but mainly Jokic because the dude is, is a savant and he knows how to surgically cut up NBA defenses and make us pay, you know? So I feel like our heads are going to need to be on a swivel, not just AD, but everybody involved. And yeah, I think we need to make Denver pay offensively for playing Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and Michael Porter Jr., three relative non-defenders. Now, they are flanked by Aaron Gordon and KCP, who are defenders, but technically they are playing Murray, Jokic, and MPJ, and it and we need to take take it to them on the offensive end by using LeBron and eighties foot speed to catch them lead-footed, using our physicality against them, and yeah, even using our skill guards like Austin Rees and D'Angelo Russell to... Snake the pick and rolls and have them sort of, yeah, backpedaling on their feet. And yeah, I think the overall our overarching note I have, Alan, is we need to wear Jokic out. Kind of like what we did in the bubble, but this time we don't have Dwight or JaVale to help us. Um, and I don't think we're going to get a bomb or a Tristan Thompson this series to, to get Jokic working, obviously. Uh, we may get some Rui or Wenyan on him to wear him down a bit and allow AD to play free safety, but for the most part, it's going to be a concentrated effort between AD and LeBron and all the rest of our guys to really slow Jokic down and then, again, on the offensive end, really make Jokic work defensively. And then my last point is we just need to run the hell up and down, push the pace. This also lends to, you know, tiring Jokic out. But yeah, what are your thoughts on on this Denver, on a Denver matchup? Because they do have a lot of active hustle guys and a lot of versatility in the wings that they have with KCP, Gordon, MPJ, Bruce Brown. They even got Uncle Jeff on the bench, you know, who's like almost like 37 years old, but he's still yamming it on people sometimes as well. But yeah, the Lakers will need to be physical, kind of like the Grizzlies series, but also be smart about how they defend this team because they are also offensively pretty dangerous like the Warriors.
2: Yeah, I think that that is a big key, like you said, is wear out Jokic. It'd be interesting to see just kind of how he does in his defensive matchup, right? Presumably, I don't know who's going to guard AD (laughs) for them, right? But I'm trying to recall, and I I feel like I should go back and watch some old Lakers Nuggets highlights just from the last few years. I feel like AD has had a good amount of success against the Nuggets, Mm -hmm. um, offensively and defensively. Yeah. So, yeah, that's I think just intuitively, if my memory serves correct, like a pretty favorable matchup right there, which is key. That's huge. Like what you said about KCP doing his thing on the defensive end against our perimeter guys. I mean, yeah, it, it could just turn out where Austin and d kind of struggle. But again, we've had some other dudes step up in, in very reliable ways um, like Rui. He, You know, KCP can't guard everybody <laughs> on the perimeter. So. You, you just figure one of those other key bench players, one of the role players, is going to do their thing, and I, I feel like they're a much more like lower pace team, <laughs> obviously than Golden State. And uh, Golden State playing with that quick pace does not bode well for us. Although offensively, we want to play with a lot of pace. Um, so that even that like kind of difference in styles will be kind of interesting to watch. If, if Denver is more kind of slow and prodding, I mean. Thank goodness our half court defense is as great as it is. Um, But yeah, we got to get those stops and then we just got to push it on the other end. Because if we get stuck playing a slow style, right, and kind of playing at their tempo, uh, that's not going to be good for us either. Um, So the style adjustments, I think, is what I would pay attention to.
0: Yeah, the contrasting style of play will definitely be something to pay attention to. Although I think the Denver Nuggets are a little bit closer and similar to the Lakers. Although they aren't as quick paced as the Warriors, obviously, but they do match the Lakers in terms of size. And just quickly looking at the matchups, you know, Aaron Gordon is probably going to be LeBron's best matchup in this playoffs that he's seen thus far, I think. And Aaron Gordon, you know, he did quite a number on Kevin Durant in the last series and really had Durant struggling by the end. Um... I think he even played Carl Anthony Towns in the first round and did a pretty good job as well. So I feel like the Lakers are going to have to find ways to get LeBron James switched on to Michael Porter Jr. and then have LeBron James attack MPJ. Get LeBron on those switches where he can, you know, battle against Jokic or MPJ, like these lesser defenders. Um, I think this might be a Rui Hachimura game. Because in order to match up with Denver's size, I don't think the Lakers should start off small. Actually, because the Nuggets start Jamal Murray, KCP, and then Aaron Gordon, MPJ, and Jokic, their front line is pretty massive and physical. So I think this is where we can insert Rui and match their physicality and size with Rui's, while not losing anything on the offensive end spacing wise, and also not losing any anything on the defensive end as well, as Rui has shown himself to be a very competent defender. And I think against more burly, brute force sort of guys like Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic, this is a series where Rui Hachimura can leverage his size really well. Um, So I think I'd have Vanderbilt and Dennis Schroeder, Lonnie Walker still off the bench. And then I think bench-wise, I think this is where the Lakers have more of the advantage. I think we have younger, faster, more athletic guys coming off our bench. The Nuggets have Bruce Brown, who's very solid. They've got... Well, after that, it's really just Jeff Green and their rookie, Christian Braun, who has sort of been a nice uh, injection of energy for them. But otherwise, we've got Schroeder, Lonnie, Rui, or Vanderbilt, depending on who starts. Um, And yeah, even if you go down the line to, to bring up Troy Brown and... Malik Beasley if we need to. I just feel like the Lakers have a deeper complement of bench players who are younger, more skilled, and athletic. So hopefully that should win out the day. And also at the end of the day, the Lakers have the bigger stars. In LeBron James and Anthony Davis, those two collectively, even though they're banged up and LeBron James isn't who he once was, especially not the LeBron James we saw in 2020, LeBron James and AD in terms of star power outstar Nikola Jokic by himself and a little bit of Jamal Murray because Jamal Murray is not Bubble Murray although maybe that resurfaces in this series but but really it's just LeBron James and Anthony Davis versus Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and we win that battle of the stars 10 times out of 10 times so yeah it'll be a challenge and it'll be a great rematch from the 2020 bubble championship series but wouldn't it be crazy if we meet the Miami Heat again and prove that the bubble was not fake after all? So, I mean, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But yeah, it should be fun. And, oh, I guess one last thing, Alan. It kind of sucks that we'll have to travel again to Denver and, you know, deal deal with the high altitude, right? So everybody's just going to be tired at that point, right? Yeah, so,
2: that, that's a super good kind of underrated point, I think. It would be so much better just going to Phoenix.
0: Yeah, it's like, what, two-hour flight to Phoenix? Exactly. versus
2: yeah, Yeah, it's better than going up north.
0: Yeah, yeah. That'll be interesting to see who has the most gas left in the tank. But you know what, Alan? The Lakers are headed to the Western Conference Finals. What a time. They started off 2-for-10. They somehow made it to this point. D'Angelo Russell is in the Western Conference Finals. Austin Reeves is in the Western Conference Finals. Rui Hachimura is in the Western Conference Finals. But most importantly, Anthony Davis and LeBron James are back in the Western Conference Finals, ready to do damage against the Denver Nuggets this Tuesday. Alan, I will catch you next time. We will have more detailed analysis on this series coming up. And we will obviously also be potting maybe after game one, maybe after game two. We shall see. But for now, Alan, I shall let you go. It's lit, fam. Let's do this. Go, Lakers. Go, go. All right, Alan. See ya.
2: All right, man. See you in Denver.
0: <laughs> yeah, see ya.